Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given us to explore your word. And um, we know that your spirit, God, is working um, in the lives of every single person in this room. And we just want to say, continue your work in our lives, God. Uh, we give over this time to you, um, all these words that I'm about to say, every handshake, every refreshment, every conversation, Lord, may bring glory to you today. Um, just pray over this service, God, that you would um, just be glorified and that, um, yeah, that we would discover joy in you and what it means to find that um, supremely in you first before anything else. And so, uh, yeah, be with me as I talk and let all these words be yours and let everything that is not just fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for the past two months, we've been going through this theme called The Art of Finding Joy. Uh, that's been our theme as we looked in through the book of Philippians. And last week, as I was looking at these banners, a word stuck out to me, and that's the word art. Like, why would, whoever created this did a brilliant job. Um, but I, I always wondered, like, why was the word art chosen? We could have just said, finding joy, a study into the book of Philippians, right? Why was the word art chosen? And I believe that the word was chosen intentionally because finding joy in the Christian life can be an art. It's a process. It's something that takes practice. It's something that takes perspective. It's not something that just happens right away. It's, I believe that God has so much in store for us, but it's a journey of discovering that. And I hope that in the past two months as we've been investigating this book, that you've been getting a lot of tools that you have been applying in your lives to find that joy. Um, and yeah, I hope in this message as well, um, you would inherit more tools into you know, learning what it means to find joy and the art of that. So let's begin. Um, sorry, Mindy, you want to pull up those verses? Um, I'm going to be speaking on Philippians 3, verse 8 to 11, as Missy beautifully read this morning. Um, and the structure of my talk today is, um, this is for all you note takers and people who think in mind maps, because that's how I think. Um, I'm going to be speaking exclusively on verse 8 to 9, and then I'm going to move my attention to verses 10 to 11. Um, and so, and that's going to be the bulk of my message. And so, let's begin with verses 8 to 9. Um, I'm going to read it from the NIV, <laughs> and um, there are some, there are, there are some, <laughs> sorry, Mike's just being funny. Um, there are some words that, are, that came out in the NIV that really, really spoke to me, and I mean, it doesn't diverge too much from, um, from this, but uh, I definitely want to highlight it, uh, some verses from the NIV. So this is how it reads. Uh, verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So verse 8, um, it begins with the word indeed here. Um, in the NIV it says, what is more? And I find it really interesting that Paul begins this, this verse with what is more, which alludes to the fact that he said something previously that was really important. And I really want to touch on last week's message that Mike gave um, just rather briefly to set up uh, verse 8. Uh, so last week, Mike began his sermon by talking about an interaction he had when he was in Thailand. He got the opportunity to meet with a monk there, and him and this monk exchanged uh, just, you know, their belief systems, what each other believes. What are the pillars of the Buddhist faith? What are the pillars of the Christian faith? 
And so the monk disclosed that um, for the Buddhist faith, it's about emptying yourself um, and emptying yourself to the point where you no longer exist. Um, you achieve this state of nir nirvana, or nirvana, I don't know how you say it, but you achieve this state of, of nothingness. When it was Mike t Mike's turn, he responded by saying, Christianity also incorporates this element of self-emptying, but what, was, what is the next step on top of that is that we would fill ourselves with Christ. Um, and this is, this is a huge truth in the Christian faith, and this is what Paul is touching on, is that uh, on our own, as human beings, we cannot uh, be righteous, we cannot get to God in our own strength. No matter what we do, um, we cannot earn the favor of God. We cannot uh, be perfect in his sight. And so we need Jesus to intervene. We need his righteousness and his abilities um, and his work in order to bring us um, into a perfect state before God. And so uh, Mike beautifully summarized it in his sermon. He said, um, if you place your confidence in yourself, that will lead to emptiness a joyless life. But if you place your confidence in Christ, that will lead to wholeness, a joyful life. And so I'm going to just go back to and paraphrase from uh, verses 4 to 6. Essentially what Paul is doing in these verses, he's saying, this is what I got. Um, I'm this, I'm this, I have this, this is good, that is good, blah, blah, blah. And basically what he's listing is all the things that people valued in his society and counted it as righteous things. Um, so modern-day versions can be like, I go to church every Sunday, I teach Sunday school, I give to the poor, um, I fast, I read my Bible every day, I pray five times a day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then Paul says in verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all those things that Paul thought were gains, were advantages, uh, were actually losses, disadvantages, because it wasn't leading him to Christ. It was leading him further away. All right, now I set myself up to start my thing. All right. So here we go, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul caught a glimpse of Jesus Christ. He caught a glimpse of what it meant to interact with him, to know him. And that transformed everything. Knowing Christ became his highest value. And, and, and seeing that, everything else paled in comparison. That's why he says everything was lost. And if you look at it, it says, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. He gave up everything and count them as rubbish, garbage, poo, street dung. I could keep going. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want to focus on the word count. In the NIV, it also says consider. It's this financial idea where you're now reassessing your life. Right? So now you're seeing the worth of all these things, and now Paul is looking at Christ and saying, okay, this is the highest value. Now let's reevaluate everything else. And when, when he did that, when he counted it, he realized that everything was a loss and that he wanted Christ. I want Christ. I want to gain Christ. Whatever Christ is about, give me Christ, 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 Christ. That was his life. I want to um, 
illustrate this point by telling you guys a story. Um, this is a fun fact about me. I uh, have commitment issues when it comes to the area of part-time jobs. I have worked, I have literally, so I started working when I was 15 years old, and I'm 30 now, so for the past 15 years, I've had, like, someone named somewhere. I've worked at, I'm working at Starbucks now. Uh, anyways, um, I've worked everywhere, literally, from every different kind of business and field. I've had my taste of everything. And one place that I worked that was actually a lot of fun was, I used to work at the Apple Store. And uh, back then, right now you can download the new iOS, right? On my computer right now I have El Capitan, which is the new iOS system, and you can download it for free, right? But when I was working at the Apple Store, you actually had to come buy the software um, in order to update your system. So when I was working at the Apple Store, we had Snow Leopard, which was this new operating system that was coming out. And, um, you know, they prepared us and everything. They had all these boxes on these walls. And um, a bunch of people were standing by with, like, little POS systems so that when people came to the door, they can just cash out. And so I got there early. I was opening, and there was a line of people ready to go. And as soon as the doors opened, they just ran in, right? And everyone grabbed their boxes, and they came to me, and I'm cashing out all these people. And this one lady, she gives me, she gives me the box at Canada, and she looks at me, and she taps me. She goes like, what does this do? <laughs> and I was like, you didn't do your research? Like, you, you don't know what it does? She goes, no, 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 I just know it's new, and I want what's new. Give it to me. So I explained some stuff, and she's like, oh, I don't need that. Cashed her out, and she left, right? But the weird thing about Apple, and they're actually brilliant, they have a marketing strategy where they're able to take um, new products and make you think that your old products is outdated, right? So this woman thought Snow Leopard was the highest value. I need this. So whatever I have right here is absolute trash. I need to get what's new and good. How many of you guys have iPhones here? Okay, yeah. So I just got, um, I, missed, I missed Apple, I'm sorry, I had to switch away from uh, Android, but uh, I loved Apple, so I got a 5S. Now some of you in this audience are thinking, what a loser, he got a 5S, right? Some of you guys have 6, you guys have 6 Plus, maybe some of you guys has a new phone SE. Do you guys know the SE? Yeah, that's the newest Apple phone, the iPhone SE, okay? So... Let's talk about an iPhone 4 right now. Right. All of us know the iPhone 4 is trash compared to the iPhone 6 Plus, right? Nice, Mac. Nice. Um, four, yeah, see, everyone, everyone got it. Um, yeah, but if we look at the iPhone 4s in comparison to looking at the iPhone 6, you see that you can look at the 4 and say, oh, man, that's garbage. That's so slow. You can't download stuff, et cetera, et cetera. This is where it's at. You need to get the iPhone 6 Plus. That phone is going to be complete trash when the iPhone 20 comes out, right? What am I saying here? Paul saw, thank God Jesus doesn't upgrade, right? Like, and you got to keep upgrading to him, right? But something happened where Paul saw the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Oh, man, this is everything. I want this. Give me this. And he was willing to do whatever it took to get Jesus. Give me more. I, wanted, I want Jesus Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to I gain whatever he has. And so he gave up everything. 
Everything that we value as human beings, he just gave up. He counted it as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. I don't know if you know this equation, but Jesus plus everything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I know you learned that in youth group, but think about it. That makes so much sense. Um, You can't add to Jesus. Jesus alone is absolutely everything. I believe that if you haven't gone through it already, you will go through it. And I've been through it many times in my life. You will hit a crossroads in your life where um, there's a fork in the road. You will either continue in your own self-righteousness or you will see the worth of Christ and follow after him. I believe we're all going to be, if you're there right now, or you will be, there will come a day where you have to reevaluate and reassess. And I want to read um, something that happened um, to a young man that met Jesus um, in Matthew 19, where he kind of hit a fork in the road. Right? So picture this in your mind. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, Wealth can take the form of tangible and intangible things. It doesn't have to necessarily be possessions. We can depend on our own morality, our own um, wit, our own personalities to get us to God. But in that fork in the road, much like what this, what this young rich ruler experienced, um, he went away and he didn't see the value of Christ. Um, he saw the value of his own things and he couldn't give it up. But um, that's a calling for all of us to see that Christ is the highest value and once we see that, we're willing to just give up everything for it. All right, that was verses 8 to 9. Let's move on to verses 10 to 11. And here I go back to the NIV. It says, <clears throat> I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, participating in, and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So verses 10 to 11 began with a really confusing sentence. Paul says, I want to know Christ. When I read this, I was like, I don't get it. Doesn't Paul already know Christ? If he didn't know Christ, how would he be able to give up all these things? How would he be able to say, that's dung, I want Christ? And Paul, Paul in fact, knew Christ. He he did, but he didn't want to stop at his first experience. He wanted to know more, 
and more of Christ because this was his highest value. Um, interestingly, if you look at the word know, that I may know, uh, the Greek word that's used for the word know here can be translated to this experiential knowing. Okay? So it's not just here. It's not, Paul didn't want to know more facts about Jesus. He wanted to experience him. He wanted to know him in his heart. He wanted to um, know Christ very, very intimately. And so the question now became, how does he know Christ now? How does he get there? And that's a question for us today too. If Christ is our highest value, we have to ask, how do I know him deeper? How do I experience him deeper? And for Paul, there were three key ways of experientially knowing Jesus Christ. And here they are. One, the power of his resurrection. Two, participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Three, and the last one, attaining the resurrection from the dead. What I want to reiterate here before we break down each one is that all three of these were for the sake of knowing Jesus deeper. That's his goal. That's Paul's goal. He wants to experience Jesus deeper. And these are three ways that he is going to know Jesus deeper. Okay. So, number one, the power of Jesus' resurrection. What the heck does that mean, right? What do, you, what do I mean when I talk about the power of Jesus' resurrection? What I mean here is um, the power that's available to believers on the basis and fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The power that is available to us. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's a fact. And this event alone had far-reaching consequences. Okay? Jesus' resurrection proved that he had complete authority dominion, and power over everything on earth and everything in the spiritual realm. Jesus was the most powerful thing in the world. Okay? But what's crazy about this power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is that it's available to us, believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? That same power is available to us. And Paul wanted to experience that power more and more. Give me that power. I want to experience Christ through that power. And Paul did experience that. Um, and I'll list two ways, three ways actually. Number one, G, uh, Paul experienced uh, this resurrection power by being, um, becoming a disciple of Jesus alone. Okay. If you look in the book of Acts, if you read about Paul, this guy was the ch early church's number one enemy. He persecuted, he killed, he, he was ruthless, right? So he went from number one enemy to number one supporter, number one missionary. He took the church and um, he preached the gospel to Gentiles, non-believers. He expanded the church. This doesn't happen on human, human ability, human thinking, or anything like that. And you can read about that supernatural experience he went through. Um, that happens because of the power of God at work in his life. On top of that, Paul experienced Jesus' resurrection power through his ability to fight temptation, preach the gospel boldly, um, yeah, and to be a force for the early church. 
I don't know about you, but if you're sitting here today uh, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the very fact that you are saved is an expression of Jesus' resurrection power in your life. And look at your life from the day you were saved to today. Is there, has there been a huge transition? Has there been transformation? That is the power and working of Christ, not yourself. So that's the power of Jesus' resurrection, that experience, that experiential knowing in order to know Jesus deeper. Okay? And then another area where Paul saw the workings of Jesus' resurrection power was his ability to share in the sufferings and become like Jesus in his death. What comes to mind when I say the word suffering? How do you feel right now? Yeah, Michelle shook her head, right? Suffering. What type of suffering do you think Paul is talking about here? Are we talking about the evil in our world? We're talking about the suffering that comes from the sin of us or the other other people? Could be. But what Paul is addressing is the suffering that comes to believers from the very fact that you are in union with Jesus Christ. That's the kind of suffering he's referring to right now. And I want to clarify something to you. If no one has said this to you, I'm going to say it to you now. Um, if you are united with Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will suffer. Um, the suffering that Christians endure, that this is your ordinary lot. This is common to your experience as a Christian. There's no avoiding it. It comes with the territory of being Christian. And why? Because Jesus... If we call him our Lord, our master, our teacher, we're not high above him. We're, we're following him. And if Jesus, during his time on earth, was persecuted, um, we will also be persecuted. And as Jesus said, the world will hate us because it hated Jesus first. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the word suffering, I just like, ugh, negative emotions, right? I don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer, right? We just want to, we want to be comfortable. We want to be good. Um, so why is Paul saying, give me suffering? I want to share the sufferings, become like Jesus. Why? He wasn't addicted to pain. He didn't find pleasure in it. That's, that's not the Paul we know. What he's saying is that in sharing in Christ's suffering, you actually experience Jesus deeper. You actually know Jesus deeper. Okay. When you and I suffer for the very fact that we are followers of Jesus, we experience a similar suffering to the way Jesus suffered. Um, I was thinking about this even in my own life. Um, as I go through suffering in order in being united to Jesus, I believe that what happens is that the suffering of Jesus actually becomes um, how do I word this? It becomes more real, right? I was trained as a kid. Like, I went to church my whole life. Jesus died for your sins. He loves you. He suffered for the cross, raised from the dead. That's the Christian message, right? And I would always say it, right? But as you actually go through that suffering of being um, joined with Christ and suffering in a similar way as he did, you can see what Jesus endured for not only you, but for, for all of you sitting here in front of me today. Jesus becomes more real, more alive, more clear. And because of that, there's this constant joy 
of knowing Jesus deeper and deeper. And it's interesting to point out that Paul wanted to participate in the suffering to become like Jesus in his death. And we see that explained in verse two, uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 6 to 8. So I'll read it for you guys. Who, this is Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not consider his godly nature something that he can hold on to. What he did was he let it go, came to earth, became a human being for us. He suffered for us um, in order that we may be joined to the Father, in order that we may experience salvation. Paul poured out his life for the Philippians. He was writing this letter from jail. He was experiencing a similar suffering. And in turn, what Paul was doing in encouraging the Philippians was to tangibly, he said, you know, I want you to have the same mind as you relate to one another. So um, he was encouraging the, the, the Philippians to do likewise, to break their lives for other people that they would know the Father's love as well. And in turn, because of that, they will inevitably suffer, but they would experience Christ in the process and know him deeply. When was the last time we suffered for the gospel like that? I was talking to one of my roommates about this, and I was like, how do you suffer for the gospel? And him and I took so long to be like, man, how do we suffer here in the West, right? We can tangibly see the lives of suffering in people in the Middle East, uh, in Asia, for the sake of the gospel. But how do we, as North Americans, suffer for the sake of Jesus? Um, I'm going to try my best to illustrate how I've suffered recently for the gospel. Um, as Mike shared, I started an organization called Deep Waters. Uh, my hope is to take my experience with same-sex attraction finding Jesus in that process and, and, you know, walking with other people with a similar experience um, into greater, greater knowledge of Jesus, seeing him as the highest value into their lives. And it's been great. It's been a great year and a half. Has it been easy? Heck no. It's been really, really hard. Um, and the only thing that I could touch on um, as a form of suffering that I've experienced is um, the rejection of other people. Um, not everyone agrees with what I, probably not everyone here agrees with what I'm doing. Um, I've had a lot of people say things behind my back, um, say things that are not pleasant to hear to the ear, um, not encouraging things, and always hearing it from the grapevine. Um, supposedly I was bashed online and blocked from seeing it, who knows. But um, I'm not gonna lie, it, it doesn't tickle, it hurts, right? I'm not laughing at it, I'm actually like, in hearing that news, you're, you're like, oh man, that sucks. But how do I know Jesus deeper in this process? Um, Jesus was rejected by everybody, right? Jesus was rejected by his, his, his disciples, his very people that he walked with intimately. Um, and I know that I will never, and you and I will never suffer the way Jesus suffered, the same magnitude, but in some weird way, I'm suffering in a way that Jesus is suffering at the same time. And I'm realizing that, Jesus, you were rejected for me. 
you were rejected in order to bring me to life, right? And in a similar way, your experiences of suffering, when they come, because they will, um, endure them because there is a joy in that. There's an experience in that that you can know Christ deeper in that process. Last one. The last thing that Paul points out as a means of experiencing Christ and knowing Christ deeper is that to attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the key. This is the final stage of Paul's spiritual journey, his pilgrimage. This is when he can see Jesus completely and fully and know him like our finite human minds cannot understand Christ and it's like this side of heaven, we're not going to understand Jesus completely. But, but there's going to be a day where we actually do. Where we actually can, we're going to be raised from the dead and joined to Christ and have eternal life with him. And I believe without that, without the promise and the hope that you will see Jesus and know him intimately and fully, your suffering is absolutely meaningless. Why suffer? Why do you want to know Jesus intimately when you're not going to know him completely? It makes no sense. And I was thinking about the human experience. I believe that the human experience communicates this idea that we don't mind suffering as long as it's meaningful. If it's absolutely pointless, why go through it, right? So here's an example. Here, I'll give two foolish examples. Well, one foolish and one good, okay? Here's the good one. A woman giving birth, okay? What if all that pain was for nothing? That makes no sense, right? But my sister gave birth to two girls, uh, two kids, one girl, one boy. And um, I know a bunch of moms that gave birth that told me horror stories of what went through and what went down. But a child was born. And they're able to endure that because they see the, the goal, the hope. Right? Here's the foolish example. I've been on a diet for two months. Okay? I don't know how much weight I lost, but um, it's been really, really hard. Okay. This is how my diet works. For six days, I eat protein, beans, and vegetables. That's all I eat. I don't eat carbs. I don't eat sugars, okay? But this diet that I'm on, it has one cheat day where I can eat whatever the heck I want, okay? When I see the goal of my cheat day, honestly, I'm able to endure. It, it, it sounds weird, but um, like... My roommates, every time, like, there's cake on the table and I'm, like, at home and it's 12 o'clock and I'm just craving it, they, they say, you can do it. Two more sleeps, two more sleeps, right? And I'll be like, one more sleep, one more sleep. And then I go nuts, okay? <laughs> so in a similar way, I know that's a foolish example, but in a similar way with what Paul is saying is that we're able to share in his sufferings, we're able to endure that because we have a hope, we have a goal in mind. So the suffering we endure as Christians, it is meaningful, it's rich, and it's useful for our lives. So I'm going to summarize all three of those things in one sentence. Conformity to Christ's death in the present, which is possible for Paul because he also knows the power of Christ's resurrection in the present, will be followed by his own resurrection from the dead. And again, I want to reiterate, this is all for the sake of knowing Christ and experiencing him, not here, but here and in life, to know him deeper and deeper. 
So I'll call uh, the band forward as I conclude. I'm trying to find my concluding notes. What is, what, is our, what is our theme for the whole month, right? Joy, the art of finding joy, okay? Paul saw the ultimate joy in knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in him. Do we have a similar mind as, as Paul? Do you see Christ as the highest value in your life? Are you at that crossroads we talked about? Yeah, you may not see it now, but I would deeply encourage you to follow after Jesus because that is the highest value. Do you want to know Jesus more? Have you got a taste of him? Do you want to know him more experientially? Um, are you tired of just knowing Jesus here and you want to experience him in your life? If so, allow your joy to be complete by going through sufferings. For Jesus is intimately there with you. He gives you the power to endure it with the hope that one day you will know Christ completely. Right? I'm not the poster boy for suffering and I got it all down packed and I know Jesus so intimately and I can't wait for the next suffering. Like, that's not me. Um, as I told you guys before, I've even struggled to know what, like, what examples should I give. And that just is a testament. And these, this preparing for the sermon really even helped me to, to ask myself, man, I want to I suffer not for suffering's sake, but I want to know Jesus intimately. I want to know that power um, and in hopes of knowing Jesus completely at the resurrection of the dead. So if you would join me in a word of prayer as we close. Father, you are so good, and you are so, um, that's bad grammar, but you are the highest value we could place our lives on and we could bank on. I pray for everybody here who doesn't know that yet, God, that you would reveal that to them, that you are of the highest value, and in seeing that, that they would be able to just lose even themselves because they've witnessed and tasted the best thing on earth. God, I also pray for all of us who want to know Jesus more because he is the highest value, that they want to take what they know about you and experience that in their lives. Uh, I pray that your resurrection power would begin to transform their lives more and more as they fight temptation, as they live holy lives, as they boldly preach the gospel. But I also pray that your power, Lord, when you um, allow us to go through suffering, to intimately know through what, to know what you went through, God, give that power more and more to, to all of us that we may be able to endure it and see Jesus there. Um, and even though we'll know Jesus only in part this side of heaven, I pray, God, that we would in some way through your power attain the resurrection from the dead. And we know that's possible because Jesus set us an example that he uh, was the first fruits of what's going to happen to all of us. So let that be our hope, God. But all this to say that we want to know you we want to experience you. We want a deeper knowledge of you, Lord. Um, and it's only in your grace that you're able to make that happen. So help us, God. Help us to be your people and help us to know you just so intimately. Thank you for this time, Lord. May your spirit continue your work in, in each of these lives.